This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 103. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. So for this week's episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different, and so this episode is going to be How I Got the Shot. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about two of my most commercially successful images and how I got them and what gear I used. So the first image I wanted to talk about is a photo of a lion that I captured on March 2nd, 2014 at 12.33 p.m. Now, this particular day, I had decided I wanted to do a little wildlife photography and I wanted to try something a little different because I'd never done this before. So I went to Zoo Atlanta and took my photography gear with me. Um, As I walked around Zoo Atlanta that day, I captured images of a a lot of the different animals, the giraffes, the elephants. Um, the pink flamingos, the orangutans, the gorillas, I mean, all kinds of wildlife. I was just photographing anything that I thought looked unique and anytime I could get a unique composition of an animal, panda bears and stuff like that. And when I got to the lion habitat, I've always been intrigued by lions. I love to watch any of the National Geographic specials on lions and any of the big cats in general, but the lions are always my favorite. And I don't know, maybe it's because they're king of the jungle, but I just think they're really, really cool animals and they look very beautiful and majestic. So on this day at a course around 1230, I reached the lion habitat And I honestly don't remember how many lions they had in the habitat at that time. Um, I know from talking to the people there, they do rotate out the animals after a couple of years um, just so they don't keep them in captivity for an extremely long amount of time. They, you know, they tend to rotate them out every couple of years from what they were telling me. And so they had quite a few lions in the lion habitat and of course they had a male who was basically the the head of the pride there so to speak and he was a beautiful beautiful majestic lion and while i was there i watched him you know wandering around his habitat you know playing and flirting with the females and stuff like that and there was a point where he moved around to the back side of the habitat there was a bit of a a hill, if you will, at the backside of the habitat. And he climbed up there. And at the top, there was a large, really large flat rock that they called his pride rock. And he went up there and he laid down to kind of survey his little kingdom there. And I got an amazing shot of him laying up there on that rock. There was a beautiful blue sky with white fluffy clouds in the background. Um, And then, of course, the trees that were in the habitat uh, behind him. 
Now for this image, I use the Canon EOS 50D. I hadn't switched to full frame yet. So I was using a crop body camera and I was using the Canon 70 to 300 F4 to 5.6 ISUSM gold band lens. And my settings for this shot, I was using an ISO 320 and I had my aperture at 7.1 because it was a really, really bright sunny day. Um, so I set the aperture to 7.1. I put the ISO up to 320 just because I didn't want the image to be too dark. Um, but it kept kind of fluctuating a little bit between sunny and overcast going back and forth. So I wanted to make sure I had my ISO up high enough to get a decent shot. And then I used a shutter speed of 1 400th of a second. And I had my uh, focal length set at 235. Now, keep in mind, this is on a crop body camera. So the 235 millimeters at a 1.6 crop factor because the lens I was using was a full frame lens. So I was basically shooting at the full frame equivalent of 376 millimeters. So almost 400 millimeters. So that gives you an idea how far away from the lion I actually was when I captured this shot. Uh, because I still, at almost 400 millimeters, managed to get his entire body in the shot, along with the rock he was laying on, and quite a bit of the background and surroundings there. So, um, even though I was at, you know, 235, you know, the camera says I was at 235, being it was a 1.6 crop, I was actually at 376. Um, and I got an amazing image of this lion. It, I, it turned out really great. I was really proud of this one. Um, and I, and I thought it was a really great image, but you know, I didn't know if anything was going to come of it. So then later on, I decided to upload the image to 500 pics or 500 PX, however you want to call it. And I submitted it to their marketplace and I had it in the marketplace at 500 pics for not very long, only a few months. Um, I put it in at the tail end of 2014, uh, or maybe over the, uh, no, it might've been over the summer of 2014, around July or August that I uploaded it to their site and submitted it for the marketplace. And, you know, I figured, you know, whatever, don't know if anything is going to come of it, but I think it's a great image. So I'm going to share it on here, see if anybody would be interested in it. And then late in 2014, I got a notification from 500 Picks that somebody wanted to license that image. And so they went ahead and they, they sold a license to the client. I got paid uh, and I made, you know, okay money off the image, but I didn't make the kind of money I should have made because 500 Picks didn't insist on the client paying for an exclusive license, which would have paid me considerably more money. Um, and the way they do things at 500 picks, and I think a lot of uh, photography marketplace sites do this, which I don't really understand. Uh, it's a little confusing to me. They always keep the clients a secret, you know, so they sell your image, but they won't tell you who they sold it to or what it's being used for, which I don't know. To me, that's always been baffling. I don't understand, uh, you know, what's with all the secrecy. I mean, if a, if a client's buying your photograph to use, you know, what's the big deal with keeping their, you know, who they are a secret and what they're using it for? It just feels a little shady to me. You know what I mean? And, you know, and again, like I said, maybe I'm wrong. 
maybe that's standard practice, but it just seems a really, really odd way of doing things, you know, to uh, ask photographers to submit their best work to your website and, you know, submit them to the marketplace for review and approval. And then once they're in the marketplace, you know, they sell copies of your image, they sell licensing for your image, but then refuse to tell you who bought it and what they're planning to use it for. So to me, that seems sketchy. Um, maybe it's not, I don't know. Uh, but that's my personal opinion. So the image sold in late 2014, but of course, 500 picks wouldn't tell me who they sold it to or what it was being used for. Um, they just paid me my share of the money after 90 days, which I've talked about this in previous episodes, why they make you wait 90 days to get paid when they sell a license for one of your photos is beyond me. Um, I think that's just ridiculous. Uh, but that's how they do things. And so they wouldn't tell me who bought the image. And I, on occasion, and I recommend this to everybody that's a photographer, I will on occasion go to Google Image Search and I'll upload, you know, some of my images in Google Image Search to see if I get any hits, you know, see if somebody's out there illegally using my photos. So I uploaded a bunch of photos this one day. This was a uh, a few months after I got the sale and I uploaded the lion photo and had Google image search do a scan and I got a couple of hits. The first hit I got was for a Russian website. It was some sort of uh, corporate business website or something like that. They were doing some sort of uh, seminar or something. I, I don't remember exactly all the details. I think it was some sort of paid seminar or something like that, you know, about being aggressive in business or, or what have you. And they were using my lion photo. They had never gotten my permission. They hadn't bought a license anywhere because I reached out to 500 picks. And at the time they were the only place where I had the, the lion photo submitted to a marketplace. And they're like, no, those guys didn't buy a copy of your license. They were not the, they were not the buyer that you just had a few months ago. Um, so I went to the PPA and I got their assistance in that I was able to get uh, basically uh, a, C, a legal cease and desist uh, template. And I filled it out and I submitted it to the web service host, web provider for that Russian site and asked them to take it down. And they did, which was a little bit surprising. Um, I didn't know if they would or not. I had talked to uh, a photography lawyer. And she told me, you know, it's really, you're really kind of stuck because the Russians are really stubborn about things like that. And they don't care about other people's copyrights and, and things of that nature. And it's, it'd be kind of hard to fight them in the courts and yada, yada, yada. Um, but like I said, I got lucky. I sent a cease and desist to the web host provider and they did take the image down. Um, and as far as I know, it hasn't been put back up. I, I check every so often. But... The second hit that I got on my lion photograph really intrigued me because it was National Geographic. So I went to the URL, the website that Google Image Search gave me when I had them scan for this lion photo. And it took me to the Nat Geo um, learning site. And there it was. There was my photograph of my lion on the cover of National Geographic's 2015 Big Cats textbook. Now, this is a, a textbook they put out for elementary school students. 
And, you know, it's all about the various big cat species, you know, around the world, lions, tigers, leopards, cheetahs, panthers, you know, so on and so forth. And there was my lion photo on the cover. And so <laughs> um, I went ahead and reached out to 500 picks, but they didn't get back to me right away. So I sent another cease and desist to National Geographic demanding that they take down my photograph because they were violating my copyright. And the person on their side emailed me back and said, no, Mr. Douglas, you you're you're confused or you're misinformed, I guess I should say. Um, we did purchase a license for this photograph uh, to use on this textbook. So I went back to 500 picks and they finally got back to me and they're like, yeah, National Geographic was the customer that bought a license through our marketplace at the tail end of 2014 to use your image for this book cover. And I was excited, but I was a little bit pissed to be honest at the same time because like I said they didn't uh, they didn't push Nat Geo to pay for an exclusive license which would basically give Nat Geo the right to use my lion photo basically in perpetuity um, and I wouldn't be able to sell it anywhere else to anybody else but it also would have meant I would have gotten probably 10 times the money for the image uh, for an exclusive license so that pissed me off a bit being honest with you uh but at the same time to be honest it was also exciting to be like hey you know i've shot wildlife for 12 15 years now and i finally got a national geographic cover now granted i know some people are going to say well it's not on the monthly magazine well who cares it's still a national geographic cover it still counts it's still got their name on the book um so I did get that one, and uh, I went on the, the National Geographic Learning website, and I ordered a six-pack of the textbook, um, which came, you know, they arrived, and, you know, I paid for the set, and I just basically wanted to have them, so I, I wanted a copy for myself, which now has disappeared. I have no idea where the heck my copy went. I can't find it. Um, and I gave the other copies out to family members, you know, just so they could have them for themselves. And it's really cool because they actually used my lion photograph as the as a cover wrap. So my photograph is both the front and the back cover photo for the book. They did a wrap around. Uh, now, they did crop the image quite a bit, which I was totally fine with. Uh, to be honest, when I took the shot, like I said, I got the lion's entire body, the pride rock he was laying on, a lot of the background details and stuff like that. And <laughs> to be honest, all of his kitty junk was showing. So it only makes sense that uh, that they they cropped the image um, and brought it, zoomed it in more tightly around his head. And now the interesting thing was, is I reached back out to the lady at Nat Geo that I had originally contacted about, you know, my the copyright violation. And I emailed her back and then, you know, and I asked her, I said, just out of curiosity, why did you guys pick my my lion shot? And she said, well, we looked at uh, photographs by 10,000 different photographers on the 500 Pics platform, as well as Getty Images. And our panel agreed that yours was the best shot. They really loved uh, the background blur, blur or bokeh. They loved uh, the details in the sky and the trees behind the lion. And it was just a really, really fantastic shot of the lion itself. So she told me, she's like, you basically beat out 10,000 other photographers. 
and I can tell you, because I've worked here for quite a long time, uh, most of the photographers that you beat out had actually gone to the Serengeti to get their lion images. And so it's really, because she didn't know at the time until I told her, she said, that's really kind of, uh, kind of uh, intriguing that you got yours at a zoo and you beat all of these other photographers, many of whom are career wildlife photographers. And you beat out all of these people uh, all of these other photographers, that had, most of whom had actually gone to the Serengeti to, to photograph lions in the wild. And, and we felt your image was the best one for the book cover. So that's why we bought it. So I, I was pretty proud of that. It was pretty cool and exciting. Like I said, you know, part of me was upset because of not getting the exclusive licensing, you know, deal and payment. Um, but it was still exciting to have a National Geographic color cover, even if it's not, like I said, the monthly magazine, it's one of their textbooks. So to me, it still counts. Um, and I'm not bashing him, but uh, Tony Northrup, he's, he's photographed wildlife for over 20 years and he's got amazing images and he's never gotten uh, lucky enough to get a National Geographic cover. He's, he's tried, but he's never had any luck with any of his wildlife images being selected by them to put on uh, the cover of their magazine or one of their books. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then, like I said, I'm not bashing Tony. Tony's a great guy. Him and his wife, Chelsea, are fantastic people. I love their podcast. And uh, he is a very talented wildlife photographer. But the problem is wildlife photography is such a niche. And there are already, you know, quite a few world famous wildlife photographers. So it's kind of hard to breakthrough in that particular genre of photography and and get lucky enough to get something like a Nat Geo cover. And I'm not going to say that I got the cover because I'm the best wildlife photographer in the world, hardly. Um, uh, to be honest, I got lucky. I got a great shot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm lucky and that I was lucky that I got this capture because I carefully planned this capture. I spent a couple of hours at the lion habitat that day um, looking for just the right, you know, composition and, and lighting and all of that stuff. And so the image itself was not luck. Uh, getting it on a National Geographic cover, <laughs> that was luck. Uh, and I'm not going to lie to you and try to say, you know, oh, I'm so fantastic that Nat Geo just had to have my image for their cover. No, you know, I admit I got extremely lucky and very blessed to get one of their covers. And uh, that's always going to be a, a feather in my cap, if you will. All right, so let's take a moment here for our break. And when we come back, I will talk about my most popular image thus far. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Liam Photography Podcast. You can visit the homepage for the show at liamphotographypodcast.com for show notes and links. You can call or text the show at 470-294-8191 with questions, comments, or requests for future episodes. If you prefer not to call or text, you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. Also, check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group, and you can find us on Twitter at LiamPhotoATL. On Twitter, you can tweet the show, just insert the hashtag LiamPhotoPodcast. And now, back to the show. All right, and we're back. So, the second image I wanted to share with you and tell you about for this episode, how I got the shot, is an image that I titled... Tybee Island 
sunrise. Now, I live in the Atlanta area of Georgia, as you know, everybody pretty much knows. I've, I've talked about it numerous times. And um, it, it, I love this area in that I like being in the South. Um, I like the better weather in the wintertime. I hate the summertime because for me, it's too hot. And honestly, I've never acclimated to Georgia, which is weird because I spent 10 years in Georgia off and on uh, when I was in the Army down in Columbus, Georgia, where it gets super, super hot in the summertime. <laughs> Um, and I've never acclimated. So the summers down here kick my butt because I hate the heat, but the winters I absolutely love. Um, and one of the reasons why I moved south as I got older wasn't because I didn't like the cold in Pennsylvania. The cold doesn't bother me at all. I just got tired of dealing with snow and ice and road salt in the wintertime. I just decided enough was enough of that garbage. And <laughs> so that's why I've moved south. Now, um, I love traveling. I always have. And I don't do worldwide travel. I don't travel to other countries all the time and stuff like that, like a lot of other photographers do. But I like to just pack up my gear and go on a road trip, you know, and just drive around the state of Georgia. Um, I used to like to do the same things back home in Pennsylvania, although I wasn't doing photography as much back in those days, but I would still like to just go out and drive around and see what I could see and find interesting things and places and people and all of that good stuff. So living in Georgia, um, I had heard about Tybee Island. It's one of the, I think they're called barrier reef islands off the coast of Georgia. And in actuality, to get to Tybee Island, you have to drive out to Savannah and you've got to take a ferry. There's no way to drive directly to the island because it's out in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so you do have to take a ferry. And I, I think it's like a 30-minute ferry ride or 45 minutes, something like that. But it's a really cool island. And the island is... Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. I'm confusing myself because I'm mixing up Tybee with Sapelo Island. So <laughs> my apologies. Uh, Tybee, you can actually drive to. My bad. Uh, I've been to both islands and Sapelo is the one that you have to take a ferry to get to. Um, so Tybee, does, it, it is close enough to the coast of Georgia that they have a, a highway and a bridge that, that leads out there and you can drive out there. And it's a huge tourist area because it's got all kinds of beach, uh, you know, beachfront property. And it's a tourist trap, to be honest, you know, and the people that live out there are loaded. You know, they the kind of people that have lots of money and they got really expensive homes. And I'm sure there's some people that are native to the area that, you know, aren't multimillionaires that live out there. Uh, but for the most part, it's basically a tourist trap or vacation destination. Um, more or less. Now, the interesting thing is, and some people may not know this, Sandra Bullock actually has a house out there. She loves to go there um, in the summertime with her children. And I've actually found her house out there. And, you know, I didn't do it to bother her or anything like that. I've always admired her as an actress. I've always enjoyed her movies. And when I found out she lived out there, I was like, man, I got to find her house just for giggles. You know, I'm not going to bother her. I just, I'm just curious. And so the last time I was out there uh, about a year ago, no, two years ago, year and a year and a half, I'm sorry. Um, I stopped in one of the little convenience stores and I asked the, the teenage girl that was working there. I said, I don't suppose you can tell me where Sandra Bullock's house is at. It's probably like a big island secret. And she's like, oh, no, go out of our parking lot, go across the main road, take the street that goes down at an angle to the left. That kind of forks off to the left at an angle, go down and you can't miss it. It's on the right hand side. <laughs> so 
I drove down through there, and sure enough, I found her house. You know, it doesn't have a big sign or anything that says Sandra Bullock lives here, but you can tell because of the the big white privacy fence around the property, and it's got um, an electronic gate on the backside of the property that has signs saying this is for fire department emergency access, and it's got security cameras everywhere. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely a celebrity's house. <laughs> I digress, uh, but let me get to the image. So, anyways, in April of 2014. I decided to go out to Tybee Island. Now, this was my first time going to Tybee. At this point, I had actually lived in Georgia for quite a long time, but I had never been out to Tybee Island. Um, I'd never, well, I'd been to Savannah a couple times, but I'd never gone to any of the, you know, the barrier islands off the coast of Georgia. Uh, so this was my first time going out there. Uh, I was out there April, the weekend of April 27th, 2014. And I knew I wanted to get some photos at the beach. I was hoping to get a sunrise shot, but I didn't want to pay out the nose to stay at one of the hotels on the island because, like I said, it's a tourist destination, so everything's expensive there. Uh, so I opted to stay at a hotel um, just north of Savannah uh, where I could get a nice room and a nice hotel for a reasonable price. So I did that, and I stayed there. And then what I did was I got up, at about 4.30 in the morning on April 27th, 2014, uh, I had a couple of cups of coffee and a light breakfast. I think I had a, a bagel or something like that. And I loaded up my gear and I headed out to Tybee Island. So from the hotel I was staying at to get to the beach in Tybee was about a 30, 35 minute drive. So not terrible. So I headed out there. And I got there, and of course, you know, the beach was fairly clear at the time when I got there because it was still kind of early. So I got there, and I pulled my gear out, and I went out onto, onto the beach uh, to set up. And uh, I, I used my uh, my tripod. Uh, wait, no, I didn't. Actually, I handheld for this shot. I apologize. I had used my tripod for some shots that day because I, I was attempting some long exposure photography at the same time. So I did have my tripod with me, but I did not use it for this shot. So I was on the beach at 6.50 as the sun was coming up over the Atlantic Ocean. Now, again, I was shooting with a Canon EOS 50D. So I did not have a full frame body yet, as I as I stated before, and the lens I was using was the EF 28 to 135 F35 to 56 IS USM. So another gold band lens, not Canon's top of the line glass, uh, but really good glass. You know, the gold band stuff is their middle of the road glass, higher quality than the silver band stuff and also more expensive than the silver band stuff but not as ridiculously expensive as their L-series or luxury lenses are. So for this shot, I used an ISO of 100. I uh, had my aperture set to 9, and my shutter speed was set at 1 500th of a second, and I was using the full 135 millimeter focal length to get this shot. And I wasn't sure really what I wanted to capture that day. I was just looking to hopefully get an interesting sunrise shot. Now, keep in mind at 135 millimeters on a crop body, I'm actually at 216 millimeters, um, which was fine because I was trying to get a shot 
that was zoomed in enough that because at this point there were people milling around the beach there were couples walking along the beach you know holding hands and there were guys that were coming out to fish and all kinds of other things going on um, so I did want to be able to zoom in and get past all of the distractions on the beach um, which is why I used the 135 uh, focal length which again is 216 equivalent on a crop body with a 1.6 crop factor but as the sun came up over the Atlantic that morning, I just shot a handful of shots of it. And I got this particular shot. And I'm including both these photos in the show notes so you can check them out for yourself. Um, I got this particular shot. And after I did and I was done, you know, sunrise was over. The sun was getting up high in the sky and it was getting pretty bright out. And I wanted to get off the beach because more and more people were coming out to the beach, you know, to, to hang out on the beach for the day. And um, so I briefly, you know, scrolled through my images on the rear LCD. And I was like, OK, yeah, I've got a couple of them that look pretty decent. And we'll see what we have when I get back home and look at them on the computer. So. Like I said, I was out there for the weekend, so it wasn't until, well, actually, that was the tail end of my weekend trip. I think the 27th that year was a Sunday. Um, so I got my shots, and then I went back to my hotel, and I checked out, you know, loaded up all of my stuff, and headed back towards the Atlanta area, which is a good four-hour drive. So it was quite a while after I got the shot before I actually looked at it. I didn't have my laptop with me. I didn't want to drag too much, you know, too much stuff with me that weekend. Uh, so I had left my laptop behind. So I didn't really get the opportunity to look at this photograph until I drove all the way back home to where I lived at the time. And uh, once I did and unloaded my car and got all my stuff in the house, um, and relaxed for a little bit, I decided to pull out my memory cards, you know, download everything onto my iMac and see what I had. And I imported them into Lightroom, and this image is one of the ones I captured that day. Now, I'm being totally honest with you. I did not do any post-processing on this image. The unique orange sky that was prevalent in this shot was straight out of the camera. That's how the sky looked when the sun came up that morning. And I think it's really cool that, that everything is just orange from the sunlight. And it's a, it is a pretty deep, beautiful orange. Um, and then of course you have the sun there. And if you zoom in really close, if you do some pixel peeping, you'll see now when you're at the normal, uh, normal view of this image, looking at it, you'll, you'll think that there's a couple of uh, sensor dust spots um, in the image, but you would be wrong. If you zoom in and pixel peep, you'll see that those specks are actually a couple of seagulls that were quite a ways out in the distance over the ocean uh, flying at the time. So that's why I didn't take them out of the shot because, you know, they weren't sensor dust spots. Um, but this particular image, um, at, that, at this point, I was taking, I had taken all of my images out of 500 Pixels Marketplace because I hadn't had a ton of success there. I had only ever sold that lion photo and I was still kind of miffed at them that they didn't push Nat Geo harder to do an exclusive license. So I had yanked all of my stuff out of their marketplace. I still have a profile on there and I put a picture on there occasionally, but I never put my stuff in their marketplace anymore. Um, so this image uh, that I call Tybee Island Sunrise, I decided to try this one out on a different platform. 
And you've heard me talk about this in a previous episode. I did one dedicated to their website, and it's imeyeem.com, and it's a German-based uh, photography website and marketplace. So I put this image on IM. Um, I don't remember what year I put it on there. I've been on IM, I think, for about six or seven years now. Um, so it was probably a little while after I took the shot. It might have been the following uh, wasn't, I don't think it was in 2014. I think it might've been the following year in 2015 that I put it on IM's marketplace. And, you know, I just put it on there. I submitted it for the marketplace. They reviewed it. They approved it. They put it in the marketplace. And then eventually they partnered with Getty Images so that when your images got approved for IM's marketplace, they would automatically go out to Getty's marketplace as well. And this image has been super successful on Getty Images. Um, to this date, currently, I've sold around 7,500 copies of this one photograph on the IM slash Getty Images marketplace. And people have bought, you know, various versions of it, licenses for it and all that stuff. Uh, because as I mentioned in the IM episode that I did, uh, on the marketplace that they and Getty have together, um, you can buy a low res version of the of the of an image to use on like a web blog or you can buy a medium resolution version to use as like a cover image or banner on a website um, you can buy prints and stuff like that and i've had um, a variety of sales with this image on there. Now, again, like I said in the IM episode, I'm not by any means getting rich off this image. I've made a couple of thousand dollars off it, um, which is decent, um, but I'm not by any means getting rich with this image uh, with 7,500 sales. And I know you're probably thinking, wow, if you sold 7,500 copies and you only made you know a couple $3,000, you're kind of getting ripped off. But um, but like I said, to be honest, you have to look at it as far as what kind of sales they are. So if it's a low resolution copy of it that somebody wants to use on a web blog, I only make a couple of dollars uh, for those kind of sales. But I have had customers buy canvas prints of this image as well, where I made, you know, a couple hundred dollars per sale. Um, so it just all depends. And I'm not complaining, you know, I figure, you know, I've had the image sitting on their marketplace for five, six, seven years now. Um, and I've sold 7,500 copies. I'm now actually uh, listed as a bestseller on Getty Images. And uh, I've been perfectly happy with that. You know, it was, uh, like I said, I'm not getting rich, but it was a light, nice little bit of pocket change here and there, you know. And and I go through dry spells. Sometimes I won't have any sales on IM at all. And then I'll, all of a sudden out of the blue, I'll get a bunch of emails from them in one day saying, you know, you sold a whole bunch of copies of this thing or one of your other images because I've sold other images on IM as well. That's just that this one is hands down my most popular image on their platform. And I think it's because it's a fairly, you know, generic sunrise image that could be used for a, a lot of different uses. So I think that's one of the main reasons why it is so popular. And, and I love the image. I think it's a great image. I just love the orange look to the sky that day as the sun came up over the Atlantic Ocean. And I thought it made for a really dramatic and and fantastic image to be honest so these are two of my most successful images commercially anyways and and this episode has been all about how i got these shots 
Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is named the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest that has been on the show to show that you're a listener. Once you're in the group, you're free to post your own original work. If you would like creative critique on your images, you can post them with the comments CC please and myself or another pro in the group would be happy to give you some pointers. Additionally, I am the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group as well. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my project at ForgottenPiecesOfGeorgia.com. Remember, the first book goes on sale November 9th, 2020, so keep checking for updates about media appearances and book signings. All right, and to update a little bit, of course, now that it's November 11th, uh, my book has been on sale since Monday the 9th. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all kinds of other uh, bookstores have it available. Um, I'll even include a link in the show notes for this episode. You can buy it directly from my website if you'd prefer to get a signed copy and not have to wait in line at a book signing. And to be honest, I don't know how many book signings are going to happen because of all this pandemic crap that's going on. Um, so if you'd like to be one of the few that has a signed copy, you can purchase one from my online store at liamphotography.net. All right, so that is going to wrap up episode 103 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be listening to your podcast. And I will see you again in another seven days. <laughs>